Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. Today we are talking about open marriages, which seem to be becoming more and more popular and maybe you are in a situation where you or your spouse has considered doing this yourself, or maybe you are just fascinated about how an open marriage could even work. Well, we actually have some experience with couples who have ventured into the open marriage category. Plus, we have some experience with the research that surrounds are they good or are they not? And that is what we'll be talking about on today's episode of Relationship Radio. Welcome, Dr. Joe, who I have with me as my co-host today. Thank you, CEO Kimberly, the, my boss that I work for. You could, <laughs> but, call, you could call me master because I have my master's degree. Okay, I call master you. home. <laughs> I always say this, people never follow through. Why are masters not called master if doctorates are called doctors? I really have no idea, except for the fact that those of us who had to spend all that money and all that time, all that effort to get a PhD, don't want anybody else to get any credit but us. (laughs) I'm joking. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not. (laughs) I'm in the middle of it now and thinking, yeah, one day that will be the the reward for all of this hard work. It won't be long. You know, Kimberly, back in the 1950s, this thing was called uh, wife swapping. And it became known, particularly among military personnel, who had to be deployed a lot. Mm. And and it happened where that sometimes then it was like, okay, so we need to exchange sexually our spouses, that kind of thing. It was actually called wife swapping. And then later, it began to be called swinging, and it got broader into the network of the culture of many countries. And then after swinging, it was called the lifestyle. It was known that as that for a period of time, and now it's known by many names. Uh, mm-hmm. Polyamory, it's known as open marriage, it's open, all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of counterintuitive when you read the research about it to find out what kind of people are more likely to participate. Now, this research I'm about to quote is a little dated. In other words, I haven't looked in the last uh, three or four years. But when you look at the literature before that, you find a couple of interesting things. One is that the people who get involved in this kind of a lifestyle uh, typically are not who you would think would be in it. So in America, for example, typically we consider people on either coast to be more liberal than people in middle America and people in middle America to be more conservative. Okay, We generally consider Republicans, for example, to be more uh, conservative than Democrats. Uh, We generally would perceive Christians as being more conservative than non-Christians, that kind of thing. Yet, at least in the research that I looked at three or four years ago, we find that there are more people in middle America than on the coast involved in this open marriage thing. More Christians than non-Christians, more Republicans than non-Republicans. In other words, it's counterintuitive. It's people that you would think, well, these are very conservative people. Why are they doing this? 
And then another interesting research, this was actually done at a, a Catholic-based uh, institution, a, a university uh, sponsored by the Catholic religion a few years ago, where two of the professors there actually started doing some research about the levels of satisfaction, happiness, and that kind of thing in married couples who had started into open marriages, which at that time was still called lifestyles. And when they did that, they found that those people were scoring higher in marital satisfaction and, and higher in, in marital happiness, those kinds of things. And so their conclusion was it actually makes a marriage better. Now, mm-hmm. what makes that intriguing is the fact that it came out of a Catholic university, which would be very much against their beliefs and value system. Mm-hmm. Now, you're based on what I just said, you might be thinking, well, good grief, Dr. Beam. You're making it sound like this is a good thing. It's the way to go. <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. You said, but you decided to research. Uh-huh. But there's an interesting thing about research, and this is what you'll learn as you finish your PhD that you're working on right now. Mm -hmm. You always have to look at every aspect of the research to find out, hmm, are you looking at the big picture or such a little piece of the picture that your conclusions can't be applied across the board? You would be skewing it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so if you only study people who have recently gone into that kind of lifestyle, Mm. now they have something that's new. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore they may find it very exciting. They may find it mm-hmm. very intriguing. If you measure them, it's not unusual to think, well, in the short term, their marriage satisfaction scores do go up. Their happiness mm-hmm. scores do go up because they're experiencing something new. But if you really wanted to understand the true effect of it, you'd be looking for the couples that have been in it for years, including the couples who abandoned it. Mm-hmm. and trying to find out why. So you can't just find an answer in a short-term study of people newly involved. Mm-hmm. You have to actually do a broader and bigger research. Now, Kimberly, we've been working with couples since 1994, okay? You were very young back in those days. <laughs> I was young. <laughs> very young. I was alive. I look younger than I am, just so people know. <laughs> she was alive. But we've been doing this since 1994, and we've been working with couples in crisis since 1999. So we've been doing that mm. a lot of years. And we have had many couples come through our three-day intensive workshop mm-hmm. where that they did get into an open marriage situation where they were having sex with other people, sometimes threesomes, sometimes foursomes, sometimes just splitting up, you go there, I go there, that kind of thing. And so, therefore, we have seen the people and been able to interact with the people whose marriages became really troubled because of that. So, Kimberly, let me ask you this. What do you think is enticing about it at the outset? Mm, Yeah, what's enticing about it is it's going to bring some of that new that newness into back into the relationship. So, actually, when we look at the beginning of relationships, many times you have talked about limerence, right? Mm -hmm. We know that when limerence happens, there's a high dopamine response in our brains. It's mm-hmm. And dopamine is the anticipation chemical. It's mm-hmm. not really the pleasure chemical, although people sometimes call it that. It's the anticipation of pleasure chemical. And so we chase that in a new relationship. Well, once we get married and kind of settled in, it becomes those here and now chemicals, so to say, that take over which is not going to have that same excitement factor, that same anticipation factor, because now I know my husband, right? Like I know how he is and all of his quirks and all of his good things and bad. And there's no longer the anticipation. 
So when we look at the draw of this open marriage, it's this anticipation of, well, what's it going to be like? Who are the people that are that we could do this with? How does it open our world? Kind of the world is our oyster. Um, but the thing about dopamine and it being the anticipation chemical is it doesn't always mean that you're doing the good things that you want when the things that dopamine drives you to do are not always the best things for you. Mm-mm. No, we know that, uh, you know, sexology is part of what I study and teach. I taught human sexuality at a university here in Middle Tennessee for uh, Mm -hmm. eight years. Mm -hmm. And there's a thing we know in sexology called sexual habituation. Mm -hmm. And basically sexual habituation says that after a couple of years of making love to a person, you're going to actually decrease frequency and decrease repertoire, which means you're not going to do as many different things as you used to do. And you're not going to do it as often. And one of the reasons for that is because of the fact that you become used to each other. And so uh, one of my friends who is a tremendous expert uh, when it comes to dealing with these things, Dr. Barry McCarthy, who is just brilliant, uh, a researcher and a teacher. Uh, Barry and I were discussing one time, and he said, look, Joe, it, what people don't understand is that in a good, strong, solid marriage, about 85% of the time, sex is just okay because you get used to each other. Now, if people think that that sexual titillation is the be-all, end-all, like I've got to continue to be sexually titillated, then they have to keep trying something new. And so some people then will do that through pornography. This is mm-hmm. some way to at least vicariously explore mm-hmm. something new. Other people will actually go a step further and get into the open marriage kind of thing, where it's like if I have sex with this person, that person, and that person. But understand, that's what it's about. Sex. Mm -hmm. It's about the sexual thrill. Now, I'm not saying that sex is not important. I'm not saying that a sexual thrill is not something that's good. What I'm saying is what you sacrifice Mm -hmm. is relationship. Because the way we're designed, now, if, if, if you believe in God, God designed us this way. If you don't believe in God, then nature designed this way. But the way we're designed is actually to have a committed relationship with another person so that we can raise children in an environment where they have stability and are taken care of by a mom and a dad, those kinds of things. We're, we're made in such a way as to propagate the human race, keep us going in a way that's safe and stable and those kinds of things. And if it becomes just about sex, then you're going to be constantly chasing the new thrill, mm-hmm. constantly chasing the new thrill. So that one guy who was into open marriages actually told me once, Kimberly, uh, he said, I go to church and they want me to tell my 16-year-old daughter that she should save herself for marriage and be true only to one man after she marries. He said, what I want to tell her is she should have sex with as many guys as she wants to for the rest of her life. Oh, my gosh. This was a father oh my talking gosh. about a 16-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. And, of course, when I got to dealing with him, interacting, I began to find out why he felt that way, which is more involved than for us to talk about right here. But it had to do with the fact that he had had relationships taken away from him that were very meaningful. And so the the fallback position he got to was then relationships shouldn't matter. It should just be sex. And that really is what an open marriage is about, sex. But what we see is that because people are made to have relationships, Mm -hmm. okay, that people who get into an open marriage is sooner or later— and we've seen this so many times. It can start great, but over time, one or both of them will begin to not only feel jealousy, not only feel maybe anger at times, because guess what? 
one of those people is going to fall in love with another, with one of the other people in this open thing, in this open marriage and whatever they're doing. And so there was one girl, I remember she called into our radio show. This was a couple of years ago when we were doing it. And she said, we started, my husband was, you know, he was bored. He was wanting some passion. We were wanting more excitement. He wanted to do an open marriage. I agreed. At first it was great. Then he fell in love with the other woman. And now it's not great. And I, I want out, I want this to stop, but if he doesn't want to stop now, cause this, he's getting the best of everything in his so, mind. Yeah, exactly. So, oh, so right. to say in his mind. And, and so there's hurt feelings. There's lack of trust that ends up coming from it. There's it's, it goes against, like you said, everything we are built for to be seen, to be loved, to have attachment, to know that someone's always going to be there for us. All of that falls apart mm-hmm. when this and and what makes it worse is it's been allowed. Mm-hmm. And so it's different. It's a type of affair, but it's different than they went out and cheated on me. It's and now there's there's just this whole other level of shame that I'm sure she had of how did I even allow this to happen? And how mm-hmm. do I get this to end? Because I agreed to this. Right. We see that kind of thing all the time. It's a matter of, as you said, sometimes jealousy. I'm not as pretty as she is. I'm not as handsome as I'm not as endowed as the other person might be, et cetera, et cetera. And even if it hasn't happened yet, if you say, oh, I'm watching this, but we've been into the lifestyle now for about five years and neither one of us has fallen in love with anybody else yet. If that's the case, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, if you've gone five years, it's kind of an anomaly, I would think. But if indeed, if indeed you continue this lifestyle, then you continue to have the great possibility that one of you is going to wind up wanting to be with somebody else because he or she is a better lover or because they relate to them better in some fashion, et cetera, et cetera. And so we have seen so many of these where they wind up coming to our workshop saying, help us save our marriage. And, and if they're talking to me before they come, I always ask the question, are you going to give up the lifestyle? And if they say, no, we want to stay like this, my response is, I think I would save my money and save my time and not come to the workshop if you're going to continue to live this lifestyle. Because even if we help you work it out now, it's going to happen again. Human beings are made to reproduce other human beings in an environment where that our children are taken care of. Now, if that doesn't sound exciting, it's not as exciting as having a wild and woolly sex life. It's not, but it's fulfilling and it's meaningful to the core of your being. It keeps society functioning in the way that it should function. If you don't believe that, look what's happening to society today around the world where relationships are falling apart at rapid rates and high, high numbers. And look what it's doing to our entire cultures not just American culture, cultures all over the world, and see how they're changing in ways that very, very few people would say, that's a good change. Now, have some good change happens? Sure, some good changes have happened. But we see more crime. We see people less and less inclined to want to be in a long-term relationship. We see, well, Kimberly, you're the expert on all those things. So the bottom line is, you may be able to enhance your sexual thrills for a while if you go into the open marriage. But... The ultimate result is it's relationship destruction. And when we as society, which has been happening for a couple of hundred, several hundred years now, when we put happiness equaling sexual freedom, whatever you would put that as actually the other way, sexual freedom equals happiness. That's how people tend to think. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. When that Mm -hmm. is what makes me happy, Mm -hmm. then you're going to chase the things that 
ultimately are destructive mm-hmm. long-term mm-hmm. or to your relationships because all I'm focusing on is my sexual happiness and in that mindset. And that is what is so, and that's what this is. That's what open marriages is. I'm looking for happiness and this is the way I'm looking to find it. And it's only going to last a short period of time. And so trust erodes. Absolutely. Because trust is based on believing that my spouse is going to make the best decisions for our relationship over time, like over and over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And so trust erodes Mm -hmm. and it's sad because I realize that your relationships are mostly made about your sexual thrills. Mm -hmm. If you're saying, but wait a minute, are are we just going to abandon sexual, sexual fulfillment then? No, 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 no. What you'll need to understand is that you can actually develop a level of sexual relationship as you get older and are committed to each other that doesn't have the same kind of thrill, but has much, much more fulfillment. Mm -hmm. That's why Snarsh wrote that book, Passionate Marriage, years ago, based on his research, that actually it's in your 50s and 60s, you're going to wind up having the best sexual relationship in your marriage because of the fact that so many other things that have been taking your attention begin to fade away. And you begin to focus more on each other. And so it's not as much of a sexual thrill and sense of newness. It's more sexual completeness, fulfillment, where it's like, ah, this, this is the way it was meant to be. So I guess we're not recommending open marriages. Would that be correct? That would be highly correct. For the record, <laughs> we do not recommend open marriages. However, as we wrap up, for the people who are listening to this and they, they're saying, okay, I hear what you say. We're made to have this one-on-one monogamous committed relationship. But what about the polygamy in the Old Testament for people who are people of faith? Mm-hmm. Well, without getting into a deep theological discussion, we're talking about a period of time where the women far outnumbered the men. Mm. And, and men were often in battle, often in war. Okay, there were all kinds of things causing the men to die so that many women would not be able to have any kind of a husband or have any children unless they actually did have, you know, a man that had more than one wife. But even then, there were certain requirements put on that, that uh, he had to provide for her food. He had to make sure that she was taken care of in all kinds of ways. He had to take care of her children. Um, in other words, it was it was not just him having a bunch of different sex partners. Mm. It was him actually having a bunch of different wives mm. that he owed obligations and responsibilities to each one and to the sense. children of each one. Yeah. And as the world became more balanced, it's not completely balanced, but as the world became more balanced, you find that that's actually going away. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, it still exists in some cultures. It still exists in some cultures in the United States. I think in nearly every state, if not every state, it's illegal to be married more than one person. So looking to the Old Testament and saying we can justify this through polygamy, you're not talking about, because polygamy was not just having sex with whoever you wanted to. It wasn't sexual. It was marriage. Right. It was provision. Mm -hmm. It was relationship and all of those things. Exactly. Makes sense. If you have enjoyed this conversation, please leave us a five-star review. That helps us to reach more people. It helps the podcast get more notoriety, and we appreciate you doing that. And for more information about what we do at Marriage Helper, you can go to marriagehelper.com and see a whole bunch of things that we can do to help you and serve you to support, save, and strengthen your marriage, your one marriage, your single spouse marriage, (laughs) to last a lifetime. 
Thank you for being with me, Dr. Thank Joe. you for having me. I'll see you all next week.